The Accidental Entrepreneur is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, A. Weber, the world's leading small business email marketing and automation service provider. Since 1998, A. Weber has helped more than 1 million small businesses and entrepreneurs through its suite of web-based email marketing, automation tools, and education. A. Weber, the best option when it comes to marketing your business. The podcast is also brought to you by the Alternative Board. Since 1989, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has been one of the leading peer advisory and business coaching organizations for independent business owners and CEOs across the world. By facilitating peer advisory boards, private one-on-one coaching, and strategic planning services, TAB helps business owners improve their businesses in ways that change their lives. And be sure to check out our affiliate sponsor, One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the avid podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. But I think you can't be like a, everything to everyone. because Everyone who's in business realizes that at some point that right. um, niching in is extremely important to pick the right language and the right messages that resonate with your ideal client. And if you don't do that, you have what we call a large net, small boat phenomenon. Whatever you catch, yeah. you can't eat. You, you're in the business for way more than you, than you can reel in. So, and your net just becomes too heavy. You can't reel it in anymore. So there are all these potential clients in the ocean, but you can't reel them in. You need to right. be very specific um, and focus on whom you want to work with. Um, this can be daunting. It was for me in the beginning. Because obviously I I do something different than I did before, but it also helps to to, um, create clarity about what you don't want to do anymore and whom you don't want to work with anymore. So it's liberating on the other side. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We're excited to have another great guest on today. If you are watching us on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the channel and hit the like button. If you're listening on your favorite directory then be sure to give us a five-star review wherever you can. So let's get on with today's show. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hi, everyone. My name is Alex Brookman. I'm a board director, strategy facilitator, speaker, and author. I work at the intersection of strategy, leadership, performance, and empowerment. 
just recently written two books that will come out in 2023, and I'm excited to be here today. Okay, okay, okay. So um, we have uh, Alex is joining us today from, where are you joining us from, Alex? <laughs> I live in beautiful Maple Ridge outside of Vancouver, Canada. Okay. You tell from your accent, right? Um, Alex Brookman is a strategy facilitator, speaker, and author, and his new book, Secrets of Next Level Entrepreneurs, which we're going to learn some of the secrets today, just came out in March. I guess last March, right? Because it's February right now. Yeah, but it's next okay, March. So 2023. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's coming out in March. So probably by the time this is published, it'll be out. It provides 11 powerful lessons and specific advice to thrive in business and lead a balanced life. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Good. So I almost made it to British Columbia at one point um, at a whole family trip. We we're going to take a cruise and, you know, we fly up to Vancouver and the whole thing. And then my dad had a heart condition and we never went. And then my grandparents passed away later on. And Yeah. So I never got there. But here it's a beautiful part of the country. It is really beautiful to live here unless the wintertime is a bit rainy. <laughs> yeah. And cold, right? Well, it's not that cold. Um, around Vancouver, we barely hit temperatures below zero. It happens from time to time in the winter, but the mountain range protects us and the ocean delivers, uh, let's say, temperatures above zero. And you drive, like, are you close enough to drive to Seattle, like drive to the United States? Yeah, that's not really far. I mean, Vancouver far. is more or less directly at the border. Um, uh, but we don't do that regularly, so no, could be you could. <laughs> with COVID, right? Now you don't come down here at all. You don't want us to come up to you. All right. Well, thanks for joining me. So let's go back. I was saying, and let's talk about you know your uh, your background and your training and your upbringing and how you you know your entrepreneurial journey. You didn't just wake up one morning and say, "I'm going to write a book about entrepreneurship." You obviously had experience. So if we can get into that, and then I'll ask you questions as we go. My first business, I found it twenty five years ago, I think. Okay, um, it was a side hustle. Like many entrepreneurs do, they they start with a side hustle, and right. um, it was really interesting. I learned a lot. Um, I failed miserably, and you learned even more from that. What kind of a business was it? Um, we um, helped clubs like discotheques um, yeah. to market um, basically their special events, and um, okay. at that point in time, I had probably like ten years experience um, in the entertainment industry. And okay. um, in, in various uh, roles, like um, I was a semi-professional DJ and there, there was just a lot of knowledge around that industry um, that I had. So I figured I can do this. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like a complicated, basically doing PR for the event, right? So you're in those days, right? Putting up flyers and posting things in the newspaper and handing things out, right? And leaving things on cars. Yes. I mean, it was how a very all this media stuff. It was a very tangible time. Um, Right. We didn't have the internet back then. <laughs> Everything was in print. Right. Then my second no, attempt. Why did it fail? Why did it, why did it not work? Oh my gosh, this is so long ago. I think in part because um, I never had my full attention and focus on it. It was, it was okay. just a side <laughs> hustle. And yeah. um, uh, at that point in time, I was a radio host. So I worked for, for a local radio station full time. And then at the weekends, um, spun the records in the clubs and that was just right. another thing on top of it so yeah so I think it was too many yeah it's okay. just not enough focus not enough attention and it was right. never intended intended to be my full-time job anyway right just to make some extra money yeah okay 
what happened after that? I went back to school. I oh, went okay. to university and studied business administration. There and um, from there made my first uh, attempt at working in a, in a big corporation and uh, joined uh, one of the largest media businesses in the world. Um, had a few really interesting years um, in the, let's say, in the management space rather than in the content creator space. It was still media, but this right. time on the on the business side, not on the content side. Yeah. And um, I helped restructure um, a printing business, which at the beginning of, um, let's say, the beginning of the century when um, the internet and everything just became more and more powerful. Um, it was an industry that was under heavy pressure and yeah. still is. And um, yeah, from there, I became a management consultant because that's what I basically did anyway, um, strategy okay. consulting internally. Then I joined a, a management consulting company. And shortly after that, um, joined forces with a friend of mine and um, we founded a business I was technically speaking entrepreneur uh, employee number one, but um, the way I led the business and built the business um, felt very much like the business was my own. So it was entrepreneurship light, if you want. Um, okay. I mean, was it also in management consulting? You were just starting at your own firm? Yes, management consulting and leadership development. Right. So if you want kind of the perks of being an entrepreneur combined with the perks of being an employee. Right. And a little then, less pressure. So you were working with like teams and right to help them with their leadership and management skills and structure and correct. reporting and, you know, as one department supporting the other, all those types of stuff. Yeah, correctly. So we would okay. help leadership teams um, get their head around the topic of business strategy, facilitate those processes from there, define um, what it is that they need to learn help them identify the leadership skills that help them implement their strategy and train their leadership um, and help them implement these strategies in uh, as successful as possible. Right. But most of those clients are not entrepreneurs, right? They're, they're companies that have larger employee bases. They have yes. different organizational charts, yes. right? Because they need people like you to that's always the problem is going from being an entrepreneur, you and your partner and a couple of employees to now growing an organization, right? That's why your whole industry exists because it's very hard to do that, right? It's very exactly. easy to run a shop yourself, but to supervise people and to get it done correctly is very difficult. Yeah. So that was probably like talking like 20, 18 years ago, something like that, 20 years ago, because turn of the century is 22, 23 years ago. So that's a few years in, right? Am I about right with the timeline? Um, we are right now like at the end of 2019, actually, when I then oh, founded okay. my own business. Okay, fine. And you left that company. When I, so now you're on your own and you're basically eating what you kill. Nobody's giving you a salary. That's right? the point. <laughs> well, did you at least take clients with you when you left the company? I actually moved from Germany to Canada um, during that time. Oh, sure. So I left yeah. my entire business um, where it was and uh, handed over my responsibilities to um, my successors. It was a very long handover and a very intentionally created process. So no, I didn't take any clients with me. That's uh, something in my industry that I, I value the friendship with right. my ex-partners more right. than the money. 
Yeah. So what made you move from Germany to Vancouver, almost the other side of the world? There are only two reasons why you move. Um, because yeah. you have to or because you your, want to. Your, your spouse, your spouse, and your spouse. Exactly. So in my case, <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to go back home, which is totally That's fine for me. From. We came here a few times to visit um, family and um, to help me get a feeling for, is this something for me or not? And at some point right. in time, I actually brought it up that we could move here. <laughs> right, right. Okay, So that, but that adds an interesting wrinkle to things, right? Because... You're not starting a consulting business in a place that you're familiar with and you have networks and you know people. So, and I, I have talked to sales, uh, different kinds of people before when they've relocated and kind of started on, you know, almost from scratch, right? So I guess at that point you still could do consulting. They didn't have to be in Vancouver, right? Because it's the kind of thing you could kind of do virtually or go visit them or whatever. But how did you especially since you just said, no, I don't take any clients. That's not what we do. I, I value that you know, relationship. How do you get started? What do you do from day one? You want to do this, you want to relocate, and you want to go out on your own. Did you, did you write a business plan? Did you cry in a corner for a while? Did you, you know, it's daunting. A lot of people wouldn't do it. You and I both know that, but. I did all of the above. So <laughs> at, at various points in time. <laughs> so we moved in march 2020 and we all know what happened in march 2020 so oh my god you moved the month that everything shut down yes we um relocated under lockdown conditions it was a nightmare with an eight week old on our arms it was just so you basically had the plan to move and then everything when, went what south. was in march because i know the shutdown was like march 11th or 12th or yeah. something like i don't know yeah. when it was in canada yeah and you were already planning on moving and you're just stuck you had to move yeah, we pulled it for, uh, forward. Um, we Our plan was the flights were in April, but we had yeah. to pull it forward. Otherwise, I would have lost my um, permanent yeah. residency. Yeah. Oh, boy. Because okay. no one at that point, no one knew whether this is the two week, right. a two month or a two year thing. Yeah. And um, I, I just couldn't risk. No, I thought like, you know, 60 days would be back at work. Come on, 90 days. And then after that, I'm like, my God, we're going to be trapped forever. So you just made it in under the under the gun before they shut the borders. And, and that gave me a lot of time to think. I mean, the contracts that I had with um, with my previous business, I was still delivering work for them. So I had a, a smart, a smooth transition. So for the first, let's say, year or two, I didn't really have to worry too much. Um, of course, network. that gave me the time to um, build new networks, which was difficult under COVID conditions, to be honest. Yeah. Um, sure. But I refreshed some old, um, long-standing relationships. I built some new ones, and honestly yeah. speaking, I really used the time to um, to eat my own bread. I created a solid business strategy um, okay. that was designed intentionally to build a personal brand business, not just another management consulting company. So I didn't want to just copy and paste what I've been doing. I wanted to right. use what um, what I've learned over the past two decades in that industry and um, package it into services and products that are unique because yeah. no one has my experience. So only right. I can provide these services and, and, and products and can only write these books. Um, and that was an intentional decision at some point in time. And I, I just love working with different um, industries and different types of businesses, different sizes. 
So I do the occasional work with a very small business, but most of my uh, clients are like at least nine figure companies. Right. Okay. So you, it wasn't that you like niche down in terms of industry, but you niche down in terms of, you know, the specifics of your offering and your services and how unique they were. Um, because I think people are like afraid of that. They're, they, they think that, well, oh, then I'm shutting out these other people who want to do business with me and maybe I can do this for them and I can do everything. But I think you can't be like a, everything to everyone. Cause everyone who's in business realizes that at some point, that right. um, niching in is extremely important to pick the right language and the right messages that resonate with your ideal client. And if you don't do that, you have what we call a large net, small boat phenomenon. Whatever you catch, yeah. you can't. You, you're in the business for way more than you than you can reel in. So and your net just becomes too heavy. You can't reel it in anymore. So there are all these potential clients in the ocean, but you can't reel them in. You need to right. be very specific um, and focus on whom you want to work with. Um, this can be daunting. It was for me in the beginning because um, obviously I, I do something different than I did before, but it yeah. also helps to, to um create clarity about what you don't want to do anymore and whom you don't want to work with anymore. So it's liberating on the other side. Yeah, I think you're right. I think when I got to the point where, you know, I wanted to be very specific about the kind of clients that I work with as a lawyer and the kind of work that I do and the kind of work that I won't do, it became a little bit easier. I mean, it became a little bit more where you could meet people and determine whether you could help them or, or not help them. And it's okay. Not everybody needs to be a client. Absolutely. Um, you know, Right. I mean, you know, you network, you meet people, maybe they can help you, maybe you can help them, but it doesn't mean you're always going to do business directly. It's just crazy. But some people get very anxious about that. They don't want to, they don't want to narrow the funnel, but they realize that, like you said, then you just got, you know, all kinds of different sized fish in your boat. You don't know what to do with them, half of them. Right. So, and you can't service people well either. Then your service offering goes down and the quality of your work goes down and your availability, of your clients go down. And when you should be raising your prices, you can't because you're too busy running around like a chicken with your head cut off. So let's talk a little bit about then about the entrepreneurial journey, right? Because you didn't write a book called the, the secrets of success of next level management consultants. So, and you just admitted that you, a lot, most of your clients uh, rightly so right in the manage in that space are bigger companies because the entrepreneurs don't have the employees or the structure where they need your services, right? They could probably benefit from them, but they don't really need them. So where did the entrepreneurship stuff, you know, come from? It's the question how you define the term entrepreneur. Um, okay. An entrepreneur for me is someone who leads a business. And that can be your own business or it can be the business of someone else. Um, if you are a leader of a large um, corporate enterprise, um you take the same decisions as an entrepreneur has to take. So it's just a definition question in the end. So the, the book was written by and for corporate leaders and business owners. And, and as I said, those can be small companies, those can be large companies. And we right. focus on, um, in the book, we focus specifically on examples that are applicable to whatever business you're building and or leading. So sometimes we talk about um, 
very complex methods like, for example, conjoint measurement when it comes to pricing your services and products correctly. But we then okay. also break it down and ask ourselves, what does that mean if you have a mom and pop shop around the corner? How can you right. use the same principles um, regardless you? of the size of your company? Are the principles the same or they need to be adjusted a little bit? They are, the, they are exactly the same. Whether the question how you price your services and products is exactly the same question, uh, regardless of the size of your business. A lot of companies run around and they are either focused on competitive pricing, so either slightly below or slightly above where the competition right. is, or they approach it from a completely wrong perspective and um, do something we call cost plus pricing. So they basically ask themselves, okay, what does it cost us to produce product X or service X? And then they mark right. it up by 15 or 25%. And that's their margin. And, right. and that's just that's just not Without how you should price your else. products. Right. Well, it's a dangerous way to price your products unless you know that what you're, you know, that that, first of all, that the market can bear that. And also that, you know, you, you, you're making money. So because what's the alternative? The alternative is right. to go for value-based pricing. And in order to price your products, depending on the willingness to pay of your clients, you need right. to understand the different characteristics of your offering, which ones of those are valued the highest by these customers, and how do they relate to your pricing? So by understanding what you do in detail, you can put a price tag to your offering that actually is in line with the willingness to pay of your customers. Let me give you a very specific example. Let's say Good. you are a butcher shop around the corner or a hairdresser. You can talk okay. to your customers. You can talk to yeah, them and understand. Ones do, by the way. What is it that, that you love about? Why, why are you a repeat client? Do you come because right. the breadth of our offering or is it convenience um, because we're look uh, just a location is walk-in for you or is it that we are super friendly um, you never know so by right. asking those questions you understand the values let's say you create a so-called value map so you you, right. you understand what it is that different customers value and then yeah. your follow-up question is um basically linked to the value, uh, sorry, the, the your pricing. So if, and I'll give you an example, if, if you are a hairdresser and you are willing to pay extra for um, long hours, so you are able to go there at 9 p.m., for example. Right. Then you, as a, as a hairdresser, you know, the convenience plays a huge role in the willingness to uh, to pay for my clients. And it, unless you know that, you can't put a price tag on it. But what you can do now, because you understand that a certain target group really values these long hours, you can offer these late um, appointments at a premium price. Because right. for those who want those late appointments, they are willing to pay for exactly that. But what right. they probably don't need is another coffee. So right. you don't have exactly. to even offer them right. a coffee while they're right. uh, getting their, their uh, beer trimmed, for example. You know what I mean? Right. Because who needs a coffee at 9 p.m.? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the term value map, you know, because the best, uh, the best and the most successful entrepreneurs I've interviewed, they make it a constant activity to be questioning and asking their clients and checking with them, 
you know, why do you do business with us? What brings you back? What would continue to bring you back? Because the ones, and I, I think you were alluding to this, the ones that think they know what, they're, why their clients are, they're always wrong. Like I could tell you why clients do business with me. Some of it may be right, but probably a lot of it's wrong. And if you don't continue to ask and get reviews and get feedback and it, and it's something that you don't stop doing, right? It's not an activity that you do and then everything's fixed. The best ones do that. And too many business owners don't do that. They just think, well, I'm the, I'm the business owner. So I know what these people want. This is what they need. Everybody needs this. <laughs> You're not you your left. ideal it's client. You are not totally in your not niche, true. most likely. Right, exactly. And, you know, even if it's your industry, you've been in it for a long time, you're probably too jaded by your perspective, yeah. right? Because your client doesn't see things the way you do. They don't walk in and have the same experience of you living in that space. So, yeah, I think that's uh, good advice. And I like the term value map. So you map out your values, you figure out what you need to offer to your clients, and you never get complacent with what it is, you know? Okay, great. So uh, give me another example, a good uh a next level entrepreneur uh, skill or things that they should do. So the first theme of the book is really about hard skills, about things okay. that you probably don't know enough about for you to get a seat on the table that you want to have a seat on. Um, and, and the second theme is about anything around leadership and culture. So at certain point in your career, and this is actually pretty early, the moment you hire the first person, you yeah. become a people leader, whether you want it or not, you are. Right. And um, that means you have not only your own well-being under um, under your keen eye, but you actually have to care for other people that work for you. And the question is, especially in times of upheaval, and we've just been through one of these times, and the next crisis is just around a corner, the question is, how do you lead your teams through challenging times through times of disruption right. and um, what are some elements of culture that help you go through challenging times um, together and yeah. get to the other side of that issue or that challenge or that crisis in the best possible way so that's what we talk about in the second theme um, and in the third theme is a theme that you would not necessarily find in a business book It's about the topic of self-actualization, achieving life balance, and challenging your own approach to life and business in general. Um, it has a lot to do with um, letting go of mindsets that potentially even made you successful and asking yourselves, what is it that you need in order to make that next step, to get to that next level? How can you shift your perspectives, your mindset, your approach to life in general? And um, yeah, there are just a few concepts that we um, throw overboard, like the right. quest for work-life balance, something that sure. a term that always made me cringe because work is part of life and the term as yeah, such right. work-life balance. Right. It, it kind of tells us that work is not a part of life and we actually need to balance those two. Right. And that's just not what it is. If, you're, if no. your life is, uh, if your work is something you need to outbalance or counterbalance with something joyful, then you should rethink what you're doing right. for a living anyway. So right. we talk about um, understanding yourself on a deeper level. Sure. 
right. how to approach it, how to do it without being, um, let's say, too esoteric or um, anything that could be seen as tree hugger stuff. It's really it, these chapters open a door for right. you into a new room. You can go through it. You can explore it. If it's not for you, turn around, close the door, and take the next chapter. You can right. read the Are book. You mental wellness, uh, exactly. mindfulness, exactly. You know, positive thinking, having a good output outlook on things and changing yeah. your, but you know, I do, I think, I think the terms are wrong, right? Like I think there's a, there's a personal life. There's a personal part of your life and there's a work part of your life. It's not like work life balance. It's all life, right? So, and they're integrated nowadays because you're working from home, you're working here, you're working remotely, you're in a co-working space, you're traveling here, the work, you're all over the place. So I think you're right. I think you have to learn to be happy doing it, whatever it is you're doing. And some of it is spending time with your family and tending to some of its work, some of it's both. But yeah, I don't think there's like work and then there's life. And especially for entrepreneurs or business leaders in general, life plays a huge role. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And we spend so much time at work that it really is part of of our lives. And I, I think that people have to I mean, these are very like first world issues, right? You, you don't talk about like societies where people are struggling to get off their off and all the hard stuff. But when, you know, if you want to get to that level and you want to be that successful, um, those things become, you know, it becomes what's happening in your head becomes very important when you're. You I know, just recently had a conversation with someone who had built um, two multi-million dollar companies. The second one. Okay. Um, just recently hit a hundred million in turnover. And they told me that the reason they messed up the first business and almost lost everything was that they weren't clear on who they are. So that whole topic of self-actualization, understanding of who I am, why am I an entrepreneur anyway? Why do I want to become a leader in a big business? Right. What do I have to offer people? Why would they right. follow me? If I, if I take away money, promotions, corporate cars, corner offices, and everything else that you can give people as perks, would they still work for you? And why? What is it that you give them? Why right. would they want to work for you? Yeah. And um, I think this is a super interesting and super important topic. That's especially interesting for entrepreneurs that have certain experience or corporate, corporate leaders that have a certain experience already. Because when you're young, you don't think about these topics too much. No, um, you just have but you time. will at some point in time hit that border or that barrier where you ask yourself, do I really love what I do? Do I still love it? Right. There was a reason why you became an entrepreneur. And that reason might have been get rich and famous. And that's totally fine at some point in time in your life. But um, it's just not sustainable to chase the money or chase the fame. And no. as human beings, we ask ourselves deeper questions at some point in our lives. Right. And that's what we offer in that th third theme in the book. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to market and grow your business? Or perhaps you're just getting started and want to hit the ground running. AWeber is the best choice for online email marketing and automation of your business. From maintaining a subscriber list to drip campaigns and landing pages, AWeber gives you tools and integrations that make marketing easy and fun. As our partner and sponsor, we use all their tools to promote the podcast and market our law firm. AWeber, the best alternative for online marketing. For over 30 years, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has built a thriving community of forward-thinking CEOs and business owners who want to radically improve their companies. 
Through unique combinations of one-on-one business coaching, participation in monthly tab board meetings with other non-competing owners, a suite of strategic tools, and customized strategic planning workshops, tab membership can deliver greater strength to your business and a better work-life balance for you and your family. All packaged in a streamlined and affordable service that the people at TAB invite you to try risk-free. Maybe you're looking to get into podcasting or you just want to market your business. Maybe you want to do it for enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts, as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created especially for our listeners. Follow the link in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. Yeah, I think I think the dangerous part is when we are only doing it subconsciously and we don't realize that we're questioning things in our mind because it just affects our confidence. It affects our performance. I think when you you know, read a book like yours or work with you or work with other people, um, it becomes conscious, right? And then you question things consciously and constructively and strategically to make it a positive experience. The other people that don't address these issues, you know, it's only like 20 or less than 20% of the people you really reach, right? And out of those 20%, probably you can only help 20% of them. The other people who need the help they're not conscious enough to say, do I like what I do? They're just, you know, and then you have a stroke when you're, you know, 57 and, and you're like, well, you know, what just happened? And, you know, some, I, I think it's, you know, living life purposefully versus just kind of, you know, sitting on the boat and then not enjoying the ride, but going for the ride, I guess is a better, is a better way to well, put it. So I, I see now where the whole entrepreneur thing, you know, came from because, that's the struggle of the entrepreneur, right? Can you get to the point where you are working, working on the business and not working, you know, in the business? Can you reach that level of, you know, mental clarity and focus where you have everything's in place and the people are working for you and the whole system's going and, and I'm not suggesting you can get there and then just walk away. It doesn't work that way. It's constant work, but you get better at it, you know, over time. And there's some people that are so trapped in their business because they've been doing it so long, you know, they can't bring on another employee. They, how can I teach that person to do this? Because I mean, I could just do it. It's just easier. And they don't realize the toll that it's taking on themselves, right? Where, you know, they're getting in and baking the bread every morning and they're making the shoes and and they need to bring someone in, but to go through and train them and teach them this and that, I might as well just do it myself. And that's (laughs) kind of a bad, yeah, it's kind of a bad approach, right? What, um, can you, can you share some stories? Not, that's, you know, private with regard to clients, but, you know, particular industries that you've done work with for, with entrepreneurs? Across, across the We're board. We're talking smaller businesses. I'm not talking large corporations. Yeah. Um, I think the, some of the, some of the examples of smaller businesses I've worked with are, for example, in the, um, in the travel industry. And okay. um, on the one hand, on the other hand, um, I've worked with a wonderful um, brand photographer um, that has a corporate background and wanted to follow their dream 
of building a, um, a photography business. And it's really interesting when you see where these, so the, the, these two are really great examples because the founder of that travel business has been in the travel industry for 30 years, okay. knows it inside out. It's not the first time that, that she <laughs> helps clients book a dream vacation, but it's a fully purpose-built business. So the reason she becomes an entrepreneur in the late, in a late stage of her professional career is that she wants to create travel experience that change people's lives forever. Okay. And that is a, a, a incredibly powerful purpose and impact that she creates with, with that. It's also business. difficult, right? In an yes. industry that's changed so much. Yeah, right. for sure. But yeah. you see, this person has done the work. She knows why she wants to do what she wants to do. And um, it's a desire that has grown inside her over a long period of time. And then you have other entrepreneurs that are relatively young still that um, are just at a point in their life where they realize what they've been doing until now is just not for them. There is something else inside them that they want to express. Okay. And then they change trajectories. They change like the their careers. Uh, yeah, right. for example, like that photographer, she did the work, she created the business strategy around it, she knows what she wants to do, and then shifts lanes from being an employee in a big company to becoming right. an entrepreneur at an age where um, there are kids involved and a young family, which is extremely difficult in some stages, but also very, very brave and extremely rewarding because all of a sudden you're doing work that gives you energy rather than something that depletes you. And right. um, different dynamics. Sure. That is something, again, more freedom as an entrepreneur. If you do it right, you can live a more purposeful family life as well. And um, I think there are, there are different reasons why people change lanes. There are different reasons why people build their own businesses. But what they all have in common is, hopefully at some point in time, that they realize that it's not about the money, but that it's about right. living a self-directed life that gives you the freedom that you want. Right. Well, I think during the pandemic, a lot of people came to the revelation that what they've been doing all along and wandering through life, they're not happy with. And they realized that, wow, I can be more flexible and work from home or do my own thing. And I do know a lot of people. And, you know, it was the, what do they call that? The big quit or the big resignation yeah, or the big reset, um, a lot of yeah. different names, the great resignation. Yeah. It is interesting to see what, this, what what COVID has done to the corporate world in general and to leadership yeah. in general, not necessarily related to the immediate risks that came with the pandemic, but how it, how the pandemic or, or COVID-19 as such combined with the technical possibilities that we have these days has yeah. started to give people options um, to say no. Um, no, I don't want to go back to the office full time, right. five days a week, um, yeah. one hour commute one way. Um, I don't do that anymore because it takes away 10 hours of my life each week that I could spend right. with my kids or yeah. playing an instrument or working right. out. Yeah. And it's just, I know so many people that are like, what? Back to the office? Oh, I know people that say no money in the world. I'm back full time. I'm not going to work here anymore. Yeah. And then, they, okay. I, I, I would guess that that place is... That creates a lot of management um, challenges 
right? Because the manager, first of all, is another employee and they probably feel the same way. They don't want to come into the office every day either, right? Because they deal with the same community, but they also have to manage people now who are not, you know, sitting in a conference room with you or they're in your cubicle or, you know, in a, in a semi-controlled environment. Now it's, you're completely dispersed. You got people working at home. They got babies in the background, dogs barking, the mailman's dropping stuff off. Hopefully they're in a quiet room. Doesn't always work out that way. And you still have to manage these people and do it successfully, not control them. And I don't want to use that word. It's not equivalent. But that's exactly the reason why so many businesses want people to go back to the office because it gives them a false sense of control over what people are doing. And I mean, this is people who still believe that, sorry, but that's just so last century. Right. When you well, when you are myth, right, the big myth exactly. is we let everybody work at home and we have no control of them. It turns out most of the, most of the people I find working from home, you end up working harder because you're working longer. It's integrated. It might you might have to go back online after dinner. It's just because it's now really integrated into your home life, as opposed to the other way. I think companies are getting more productivity out of the people in there because the people appreciate being you know having those kind of of flexibilities. If you want your people to be around you, to give you that false sense of control, then you should rethink why you manage people in the first place. Then you are not focused on what's good for the people you lead, but you're focused on what's good for you. And that sense of control is something that you need for whichever reason. So do the soul searching and ask yourself whether the way you lead is fit for the future. You know, I read a book in college now, that was 35 years or plus ago, and uh, it was called small is beautiful economics as if people mattered. And and I didn't really understand it at the time, but it was a lot about capital resources versus income resources, right? Treating things that we can use up versus that will, you know, replenish on their own. But if you take the people away, and I think this is somewhat of, a, of an entrepreneurial thing, right? Because the entrepreneurs make their transition from a solo or a few people to a bigger organization as they grow, if they're successful, But if you take the people away, the company doesn't exist in and of itself, right? Just because it's got a corporate ID ID number and has a bank account doesn't mean that it does anything if there's no people there. So if you don't take care of the people, like you can have a company that loses money. You can have a company that breaks even with people, but you can't have a company without people that doesn't do it, won't do anything. It's not that automated, right? So I think that we, you know, uh, from a management standpoint and from a branding standpoint, right, brand ourselves for the employees. I know some recruiters that are helping employers do that, to brand their company for the people they're trying to attract, in addition to the branding they do for the for the people they're trying to do business with. Uh, because it's important, especially the millennial generation. They think that they need us more than we need them. And, you know, and to a certain extent, that's true, depending on the industry. Right. If you run a, a services-based business, you are nothing without your employees. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> especially in the industry where I'm, where I operate in. If you think about management consulting, what what is a management consultant? It's a purely right. people people-based right. business. It's not scalable through tech. It is a people business. If you want to grow, you need more people. And if the people don't want to work for you anymore and they walk out the door, then no business. There is just no one to do the work. And um, the the quality of the work is directly correlated with the quality of the people and the culture that you create. So I think this is also what makes this book so extremely interesting. You can put this in your shelf and take it out 
when you have a certain interest regarding a certain topic. You don't need to read it cover to cover. You can be like, I feel depleted. I want to take more care of myself. How do I do that? You read theme three. If you are more around, I've grown the business to a stage now where I really need to step up my game as a leader, read theme two. Learn about um, transformation leadership. Learn about leading through disruption, all these things. So I think this book holds a lot of gems for people that go through a, a career that is multiple years long. It's not, I'm a new business founder and I need to read this book back to back because it holds the 10 um, best secrets um, in, I don't know, product marketing. That's not what this book is all about. Right. So, um, okay, so we talked about things for business owners to know, right? That's what this whole discussion was about. Looking back on the businesses that you're, you've run or you're running, what are the, some of the things that you feel that you, you did you know, wrong, mistakes you made, and the lessons that you learned from that? Maybe you got a couple of those, because that always teaches people a lot when they make mistakes. I always find if we don't make mistakes, we're never going to learn anything. So um, maybe you got a few of those. Oh, my God. I need to filter through these. Um, <laughs> I, made, uh, I made mistakes every, like everyone else. A lot of mistakes. Yeah, right. Of course. I think one of the biggest mistakes that really shaped me as a, as a people leader is uh, some of the mistakes that I made when I had my first team, how I, how I led these people. Um, and I realized a few years in that I don't want to say I failed several in my team, but I could have done way more. I was focused too much on bringing in the herring um, yeah. instead of the people who will then take care of the herring. So I think this was a really important lesson for me that building a business is as much about the people that work with you than it is about the customer. The customer is not always right. Um, right. This this is one of the biggest business myths I've come across in my career. Right. You have to support your people. Exactly. And there is also this sentence, if you take care of your people first, they then take care of the business. There right. is a, a large part of truth in that. Yeah. And I think this was this was probably one of my biggest mistakes in the beginning as a people leader. When it comes to business decisions, I made some really poor decisions in my life, um, but I also made some really great choices. And I think allowing yourself as an entrepreneur to reflect on both the good and the bad decisions, um, and, and this brings us back full circles to the name of your podcast, it helps you avoid to become an accidental entrepreneur. Because yeah. just because you're having success doesn't mean you know why you're having the success and that you can repeat it year after year. So understanding what are the factors that contribute to your success are as important to understand as the factors that might have led to a setback or to a failure in some area. And right. one, of my, one of my biggest um, or best examples for that is Richard Branson, the founder of the Virgin Group. That guy has sunk more than a dozen of businesses in his life. Right. And he still managed to become a yeah, well, billionaire and one of the most yeah, influential thought, thinker, yeah, thought leaders in the world. Right. I really love when people are, when, when they reflect, when they understand what makes them successful, because then all of a sudden it becomes repeatable. 
It means I understand the dynamics of my industry. I understand the dynamics of my business. I know myself as a leader. I know what I'm good at. And I also know what I'm really bad at. And that gives right. me the opportunity to hire the right talent, for example. People yeah. that make up for my own flaws. Um, yeah. And that help me build a team that in itself is rounded. I think that's one of the most difficult part about being an entrepreneur is picking people. You start out and you got this great business idea and whatever, and then you have to hire somebody. Maybe it's a small team and you're not, and I was guilty of it too. I had a law firm. I was not good. I didn't pick the right people. I made poor partner decisions and it didn't work out. And I decided to go a different direction after, you know, long, hard thought, um, you know, self-reflection and lost friends and, you know, so forth. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't good at it. You know, I didn't take the time to It's not that I couldn't, I could have learned and didn't, I just didn't do it well. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that. And they, you know, you meet somebody who's nice, you interview them and you're like, oh, well, this will be great. And you don't really take the time to, you know, use a process to evaluate people that's a good process, right? And stick to it. So you don't let your gut, you know, I had a guy on the podcast, never go with your gut. He's a neuro neuroscientist, really smart guy. And he was like, you know, generally going with your gut is a bad thing. Like there's yes, no right process about that really is tried and true about doing that. So I think that's a big struggle for, you know, entrepreneurs in terms of, you know, building a team. And, and then as you build your team and you need to realize that, you know what, this person who was working for me, who was just kind of helping us do in the office administration, maybe they're not right for the next level of where we're going because they have to do this job or, or they can't, you know, and they don't have the skills. They just had some basic skills and it's difficult. You don't want to let people go, or maybe you can move them over and say, Hey, you know, finding right seats on the bus. I think it was Jim Rome or something said, said talks about that um, in terms of, uh, you know, finding where people should be and doing that. And that's a very, very difficult thing. That's totally different than, you know, writing a business plan and figuring out all the parts of, what you want to do to be an entrepreneur, that level of, of management is, which is why your industry exists actually, is very, is very difficult. And you can lose sight of things very quickly and people end up siloing, you know, they're not talking to each other, different departments. And it's, it's a, it's a hard, it's definitely a challenging, you know, part of being a business owner or being an executive who hopefully treats your business like a business owner. And, you know, those, those types of things, it's just really difficult. So yeah, definitely a shortcoming of mine too. Learned a lot though. You always learn a lot when you make bad decisions. As hard as they are. Not everyone does. <laughs> I know. They're making the same bad decisions or they're afraid to go back and try again. Or the, the one of the most uh, frustrating things that I experience with the business clients that I work with is the fact that a lot of what they do is, is haphazard and not strategic and not well thought out because they go with their gut. I get people come to me and they're like, oh yeah, I want to be on your podcast. I'm an accidental entrepreneur. And they're like excited about that. And I said, no, 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 you, you're missing the point. <laughs> you don't want to be an accidental entrepreneur. You, you don't want to be the 1% that accidentally, be, it's not like 50% of them become successful. That's why we have such a high failure rate of these small businesses, right? So you don't, you want to be the accidental entrepreneur, the 1% that might make it. That's not a good strategy. You use strategies that will increase your chances of success, which is the reason for all these interviews. 
as opposed to saying, because I can't tell you, and I'm sure you don't find this surprising, how many people come on the podcast and say, oh, I'm the accidental entrepreneur. I said, yeah, you and 175 other people that I've met, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is a bad road to go down. So it's funny how people perceive things. They're all excited, you know, like, you know. And some of it's our laziness, some of it's, but, you know, the, the best ones I find, they didn't know business, right? So they went and they took a course locally, how to write a business plan, and they wrote the business plan, and they worked it out, and they started figuring things out. And they still made mistakes, um, but they learned to mentor with somebody and to ask people for advice and to find, you know, read like your book and, and other things. There's so much good information out there. But, you know, the people that come in, they turn the lights on every day and they go to the thing and they, same way, and they're not becoming a student of what they do. Just a really you hard seem road to be home. really frustrated about this, Mitch. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's it's why I started the podcast because I was like, I got to get this out some way. I need my own therapy. So let's talk to people <laughs> that have made mistakes and been successful. Let them share their ideas, and maybe there's a few people out there that instead of coming to me and saying, "Oh, I got to close my business," they'll, you know, maybe uh, if you write a business plan and be strategic about it, write, you know, take strategic step for things. You'll see things coming down the road can't guarantee that but yeah. you know your chances of success would would increase a lot um but you know it keeps me in business keeps you in business what can i what can i say so alex what's the i mean i assume the book's available on amazon right it's available everywhere where you buy your okay. books is it an audio or just kindle and paperback and depending on right. when this episode airs it might only be available as a hardcover that's okay. what the first um, edition is. Um, it will okay. be available, though, as an ebook um, further down the road in a few weeks after publication. Um, yeah, it's it's available everywhere for pre-order already, or depending on uh, when you listen to this episode, it will be available on Amazon, Indigo, when you're in Canada, anywhere. Yeah, I'm guessing people listening to this, it's going to be late May, early June. So the book should be available everywhere. Oh, yeah, for sure. Anymore. Okay, and also, how can people interact with you? LinkedIn, you prefer Facebook, Instagram. What do you what do, you do these days? You can definitely find me on LinkedIn um, okay. or on my website. Of course, there's tons of free resources available. Um, you don't necessarily have to work with me. Um, you can also just sign up for my newsletter, Building Bridges, where I regularly sure. share um, articles and content that I create to help entrepreneurs and business owners understand themselves their business what strategy is anything around strategy and leadership um and you the, the best way is just to find me um via google or you go to alexthestrategist.com that's yeah. how you avoid writing my surname wrong which is a right well we'll tricky. also put links in the show notes so <laughs> hopefully he's looking at the episode they'll see the show notes and uh and they'll be able to click on it in the video or on the uh on the, the podcast uh, website. I think we use Podbean as a host. So we'll put that in. Any any closing remarks? Any things you want to add that, that you, it, you know, wisdom that you want to share? Or are we good for the day? I think we're good for the day. It has been okay. quite, a, quite a ride and um, a lot of lot to take in for your listeners. So thank you very much for having me, Mitch. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moscovich and made to order music. 
For information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinacker and produced by Beinacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at BeinackerLaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.